This is part two of the brother's trick about doing balance of terror. Part two, in case you're listening on your iPhone or Android or whichever, and suddenly this starts playing and you're like, wait, I haven't listened to part one. So uh, yeah, we're just going to play the intro and get right back into where we were at part two. has gone too so the ship's been sort of making weird uh weird moves up and down the uh the neutral zone line uh being unpredictable and find, right? right and, and we, we find, find out, out that, that the, the ship, ship can go and can become invisible call it cloaking nowadays but back then they just said that it can become invisible tension escalates again even buried in the asteroid that's mostly iron the deflector shield of outpost four is now gone Mostly rubble, you know, boom, here we are. Fires happening everywhere to really make it look like the place is, uh, the place is really uh, in trouble. We see a brief, brief glimpse of the bird of prey as it fires and then disappears again. And now Outpost, Outpost 4 is gone. Kirk here speculates that maybe the bird of prey can't fire while cloaked. That's why it came too. He's very smart, that Kirk. He understands how these things work. They also speculate about how uh, the invisibility thing works, how the cloak, I'm just going to call it cloaking. That's what it is. <laughs> how, the cloaking, how the cloaking works. Uh, they can somehow track them like sonar, I guess. I mean, I know that that's like the, the, the submarine version right. of it. We can guess that maybe they can, they can sense, sense their trail, trail their you know, ignition trail or something. something. Engine trail, not ignition trail. What am I talking about? Making things up now. And they're hoping that maybe the cloaking device works both ways, right? They're hoping that maybe if they're cloaked and then they can't see the Enterprise, or at least hope that the Enterprise will look like some kind of reflection. There's a, a feature of, a, you know, a game that was based on the original series, Star Trek Battles. And one of the key components of that game was your energy management. We were always uh -huh. thinking about, well, if I move this distance, it's going to cost this amount of energy, and then I won't have energy for weapons. So maybe I, I don't want to go as far and I want to shoot at a greater distance because I'll have more power for weapons. So this energy management was a key part of uh, Starfleet battles. And this is these kinds of discussions that made it so important. Again, becomes very important later on in the story. Spock suspects that they're heading back towards Romulus. Here, Stiles begins to question Kirk. Kirk basically is like, all right, we're just going to hide back. We're going to lay low. And just follow them and see what happens. Styles says, no, no, we need to get on them. We need to jump on them. We need to, uh, he even leaps to the conclusion. I don't know where this comes from except for paranoia, I guess. But he leaps to the conclusion that perhaps there are Romulans on board the Enterprise. So okay. you, you have this interesting uh, scene, right? So he says, you know, I think there may be a traitor on board, spies. And... Interestingly enough, the character that concurs is Sulu. And of course, Sulu himself was the suspected, or the actor, uh, George Takai, you know, was 
in his youth, the suspected traitor. He was put in a Japanese internment camp right. because he went through this situation in which during wartime there were suspected traitors and uh, you know the Japanese were you know basically moved away from the coast and put into internment. And But his character, the Sulu, is the one that concurs that this is a real issue. And Now all that ever happens is they send security out to various decks to presumably you know, make sure that eyes are on various key components, as opposed to locking people in their rooms or. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. <clears throat> as they've done, as we've talked about in previous episodes. So her locks into their communications somehow. She's a genius, and then we see our first footage of Sarek. I mean, I mean of, of the, the Romulan, Romulan commander, <laughs> and they look like Vulcans. Dun dun dun. I mean, that guy could be Spock's father. Right, I know. That's how close they look. That's a better joke. Um, so we uh, go to commercial. We pick right back up where they left off, right? And Styles can't stop looking at Spock. I mean, it's like they might as well have done like a double take of like, Spock, screen, Spock, screen, you know? Uh, this is when we get into the little bit of uh, racial profiling that happens here. Styles makes a little comment under his breath, like, well, I bet you Mr. Spock can decode that. Kirk says, uh, what? I didn't hear you. He's like, I was just saying that maybe Mr. Spock could decode that. Well, I assume you're complimenting Mr. Spock on his ability to decode. <laughs> I don't think so, sir. <laughs> Spock turns right, right back, back to him. him. Leave any bigotry in your corridors. There's no place for it on my bridge. I mean, Kirk. Kirk says that. Kirk spins and says, think about the quarters. To the Romulan ship. Whereas Kirk was hoping most of the crew thinks they are running from a ghost. But our Romulan commander thinks differently. <laughs> and his orders rule. One of the things I was reading about preparing for this episode was that they were trying to set up a advers an adversary worthy of Kirk. You know, someone who complimented him. They even say, you know, towards the end of the movie, the Romulan commander even says in another universe we could have been friends. So it's really fun that they set up you know, like if they were on, like if we were watching from Romulus, like Star Trek would be about our Romulan commander. You know what I mean? Like that's the way they were setting up. It's really fun. I think, you know, we, there are suggestions made about alternate tactics and they don't get explored. But, you know, having, since Romulans are one of my favorite uh, characters, and in fact, we shouldn't, uh, we should include a clip of one of my Romulan ships. It looks not unlike this ship with its ability to fire these gigantic torpedoes. But, you know, it's very reasonable that if I were playing this scenario, you'd have one ship that goes out and attacks these bases, and then other ships that are lurking just behind it, right? So that if, like Style suggests, you were to run at that attacking ship, you'd suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a bunch of them. And of course, this is what they do the next time we encounter the Romulans. Uh, Kirk crosses into the neutral zone, and boom, suddenly there's three Romulans surrounding him. He's totally outnumbered, outgunned. And so, for them, they, they never explain why Kirk doesn't do that. But I have to imagine he's anticipating, well, if I can't see them, I don't know how many there are. If I go running at yeah. that, I could suddenly find myself with like ships behind me, uh, surrounded, outnumbered. No, no. Let's get a lay of the land first, figure out what's going on. 
<clears throat> we also see some awesome uh, Romulan helmets in this episode. This was another money-saving device. Could you possibly guess why? Those haircuts were expensive. <laughs> and the ears. It was really the ears that were more expensive. Uh, yeah, I guess so at, at that time, too? you probably could just ask a bunch of actors, I'm going to give you all bowl cuts. And yes, like, exactly. Okay. Am I, yes. am, am I getting, uh, what, uh, what do they call it? Uh, scale? Am I getting scale? Yes. Okay. Right. Cut my hair however you want. <laughs> so at this point, there's a lower underling. So uh, this is another question I had as far as like the ranking system goes. Uh, oh, crap. What's the word? Uh, starts with a C, C O N. Commander? Centurion. No. no. Centurion. That's the word I'm looking for. So, are they all Centurions? Is everyone on the ship, or is that like a rank? Uh, so, part, you got two things going on here, right? One is, as we saw with Romulus and Romoy, there's a R Romulus, or there's a Roman theme going on here, right? Right. And of course, the, the Romans had Centurions. But that was because they organized their men into a century which, you know, had 80 men, but theoretically, you know, 100 men. Right. Here, it seems more like the Centurion occupies, you know, an advisory role to the command. You get commanders and sub-commanders. Well, who is this Centurion? Later thinking is that he's like a political officer because this is a, uh -huh. if, you know, if this is an analog to, let's say, the Soviet Union, he would be the commissar. Who would be the right hand, the advisor, the interferer with the, the commander? But of course, these guys are friends. So true. We find out that this other centurion, this other guy, this underling, has sent a message to the praetor, which we assume is the you know president or Romulus or whatever. And uh, Sarek's pissed because he thinks that maybe you know somebody could pick up that thing. Somebody you know could pick up that message as we found they already have and uh you know maybe they could decode it and you know let them know something and so he demotes that guy like two ranks right in front of him <clears throat> then we hear about the political machinations like hey i don't know if you want to be messing with this guy he's got a lot of friends in high places you may want to take it easy blah 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 which i again it's funny because that was my next note is that sets up that roman you know, feels very almost Julius Caesar in a bit, you know, of all the like machinations going on behind of, you know, who's uh, who's doing this and why and why you should not talk to somebody or treat somebody a certain way. I think this is also true. You know, these guys would be thinking of Nazi Germany. And, you know, after the war, you get lots of these things about the intrigues and so forth. And, you know, there was this idea of Kremlin watching in which you try to figure out, well, who showed up at an event? Who was in a parade? Who stood next to whom? Because these were all thought to be clues as to who was in power and who was out of power, who was about right. to get airbrushed out of the photo. And so there's a certain amount of that, that these repressive regimes are just full of political intrigue. This is also too where we start to see a little bit of the what's behind the commanders ideas of what war is and what war should be how many comrades have we did we lose in the last war when we bring back this deficiency of the earthmen when we find out that they are not as well armed as we thought that they might be you know this is going to lead the praetor to war he's even asking the question why do we have to do that should should we do that is even his question uh which is good because it sort of gives him a little bit of compassion it makes you 
not root for the bad guy so much, but understands the two sides of war that we're really discussing in this episode. One of the, the features that we'll get out of Romulan commanders is the sense that the, the Imperial Star Navy is full of these kind of commanders who have compassion and are, you know, they are aware of the costs of war. And we'll, you know, we'll also have commanders like Tomalok in the next generation who seem like they're aggressive and they're just villains. But there's no shortage of commanders where you get the sense that they're being pushed at this because of the politics at home, because of the Tal Shiar, because of the secret police, or, or the ambitions of politicians. Whereas the Navy is just doing its duty. You know, we know this is costly. If it were up to us, we wouldn't be doing this. But right. right. Uh, he also says right here that he prays for destruction, prays for their destruction so that they can't make it home and accidentally start a war. But then he says, as a trained soldier, obviously, I can't allow that to happen. Back to the Enterprise, we get our briefing room scene, you know. Can we engage them, Kirk asks, with a reasonable thought of victory. Styles, not surprisingly, calls for an attack on the ship, you know, even blinded by his racism and his loss from so many generations ago. He correctly IDs the problem that the Romulans, the Romulans make it back home. They could report our defenses or lack thereof and start a war. He then calls out Spock, right? You know, basically saying, like, he might be a Romulan sympathizer or whatnot. And it's at this point where we start to see, like, you know, again, typical Spock. He doesn't care what people think of him. He's going to say what he thinks is right. And right here, he agrees with Styles and says, yeah, we should fight. Which shocks everybody, including McCoy, right? But Spock here says, if the Romulans are an offshoot of my Vulcan blood, which I believe to be the case, then fighting is even more imperative. Vulcan, like Earth, had its aggressive colonizing period. Savage, even by Earth standards. If Romulans maintain this martial philosophy, then weakness is something that we dare not show. See, and so, oh, to, you know, to my mind, this is, he's remembering the Romulan history, which is his own, and the Vulcans are the people who left. So they, they decide that they're nearing a comment and that maybe that they can hide in the comment, or maybe they can use the comment to make the Romulan ship reveal itself. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> and then I also like that, like, sitting there just happens to be a book on comments. <laughs> comments, there we go again. Happens to be a book on comets that he, like, then tries to hand to Spock, and Spock's like, no, I can already tell you everything you need to know about this comment. It's cool, blah, blah, blah. And we go to commercial. When we come back, we again find Kirk's plan is to let the Romulans enter the comet so maybe we can see them and then be on the other side of the comet to catch them when, when they, they come, come out. out. Well, the Romulans were heading for the comet. Right. Right. So the Romulans thought that the comet would be of some tactical advantage to them. And we don't know what that is. Are they thinking that it's going to affect the reflection? You know, are they te is this a, a way to test the reflection? Are they, you know, uh, engaging in some other kind of cat and mouse strategy where they think they're going to get some advantage? Whereas, you know, we get to see how Kirk sees how it'll be a benefit to him, how it'll create opportunities. And we don't really know what opportunities the Romulan commander thinks he's exploiting. Because it's, it's clearly got this vulnerability to it. Oh, I also wanted to say that I feel that there's a lot of this that feels like Wrath of Khan. You know what I mean? Again, building a, a 
an adversary worthy of Kirk, worthy of fighting, plus the fight in and around a celestial body, you know? I mean, like, at some point, the colors even look the same on the screen, you know? Uh, but I know that we'll probably get there and there'll be a lot of information about it once we do, but I did wonder if Rathacon might have been inspired by this episode. Yeah, that this, that this battle scene had the kind of feel and flavor they were looking for. Yeah. So, back to the Romulan ship. They have now entered the comet. Uh, the Romulan commander is looking at it in all of its majestic glory. Uh, when a centurion announces that the shadow has disappeared, the commander then realizes his mistake and sets for evasive ma maneuvers. Well, they're not evasive. He calls them escape maneuvers, which I think is great. Uh, yeah, back, lots, lots of these words are like alternate words. And uh, you know, when I ran a Romulan-themed campaign, you know, I went through looking for these alternate words like escape maneuvers, etc. And uh, then there was the uh, the Bond movie, uh, it was it was one of the Pierce Brosnan where I can't remember his villain. He's the guy who also sold cars. Jane, P, P, last name was Pierce. I can't remember. But he he was the the media magnate guy, and so off the the Chinese coast they were going to capture a British destroyer or frigate, and. What they said was... Uh, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, there you go. Um, just the way the British ship responded had their own different words for what we were used to. You know, like, you know, calling out brace, 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 and uh, these kinds of, you know, alternate words. And I was, you know, like writing these all down as, as ways to create this sense that everything is familiar you know, they, they have all the same problems to solve, but they've come up with different words to, to solve these problems. I like how they do that, where the Romulans aren't just using the exact same words as right. the Federation. So back on the uh, Enterprise, Kirk loses the ship, and then he realizes... He, golly, me and my talking tonight. And he realizes that, the maneuver, uh, that he must have made the maneuvers, and he won't underestimate him again, he says. So Kirk starts to just fire blindly into space, hoping that he'll flush them out. Um, so, causes some damage to the Romulan ship and uh, even knocks out uh, old... Uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. Decius, yes. Even knocks out that poor guy. Gets uh, A big thing falls on him as he pushes the Romulan commander out of the way. Uh, he sacrifices Rom himself for his old friend. Right. Because these are decent people. The Romulans divert all their powers to weapons... And uh, the bird of prey uncloaks and fires its weapon at the Enterprise. So they attempt that they're going to warp away, uh, but their weapons aren't working. It's fun because so they're warping away, trying to outrun this torpedo thing, blob thing-ish that it is. Uh, he sets up a log buoy, which he then, you know, jettisons and, you know, basically is like, okay, let them know what happened in case we don't make our way through this. But luckily then, though, the weapon begins to disintegrate. The torpedo begins to disintegrate as they get further and further here. But... Here we are again, just as another moment of tension arises. There's Rand popping up on the bridge to be at uh, Kirk's shoulder. And then they even go so far as to hug as they think that they're about to blow up. I'm like, whew, they're setting up some stuff with these two or not. Uh, so the weapon impacts them, but it doesn't destroy them, obviously, because they're the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> Spock gets down to get the phasers working. Just too late, because they could have blasted the thing out of the side, but no, they didn't. 
Luckily, the Pacers are up and running again, so we return to the Romulans. They have gone back to their course to get back to Romulus. Spock hopes that they will have thought the Enterprise was destroyed. Kirk admits, eh, I wouldn't make that mistake if I were them. Back on the Romulan ship, we see that the uh, Romulan commander is tending to his number one. Uh, they notice that the reflection has returned. The commander tells them to cloak again, despite being low on fuel. Again, we got the fuel thing. Now that's really starting to build here. This commander will not make the same mistakes, he says of Kirk. So can I mention that here we are 32 minutes into the episode and you and I have probably talked for already over an hour on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how dense this episode is with stuff. It's crazy. I love it. Back on the NCC 1701, they are a minute from entering the neutral zone and Kirk decides now must be the time to attack. There's a little back and forth between him and Bones and Spock about, well, you know, if you go in there, then they can claim that we moved in. And so they moved in, blah, blah, blah. So Kirk's plan is to fire again into the dark, hoping that they will uncloak to fire again. I also like to how like whenever they fire the phasers, the lights like start to dim on the bridge as if like we're using all this energy to fire the phasers. They get close again, but uh, don't destroy the Romulan ship. They decide to go into the neutral zone where they continue to fire at the ship. So back on the little Romulan ship, the Romulan commander, he's lost his, he lost his number one. He's officially died. The Centurions beg the Roman commander to uncloak and fire, but he has already guessed Kirk's game. He tries to fake them out by dumping debris and his best buddy into space, hoping that it'll look like they've been destroyed. However, back on the Enterprise, Spock is smart enough to have calculated that that is not enough debris. They must be trying to trick them. Unfortunately, at this point, though... And this is an old submarine trick. You know, you'd, right. you'd, you could eject oil and machinery parts and maybe a dead body. And suddenly the destroyer is like, look, I got oil. I got a body. I got debris. And, of course, in that situation, the ship would presumably sink, not float. So you, you wouldn't be able to add up the mass. And, but you'd go, hey, it looks like we hit him. You know, and then when there's nothing for two or three hours, you go, I guess we got him. All right, let's move off. And then the submarine could then, you know, sneak away. It's a clever move. But before the commercial, just so we have one cliffhanger as we go to commercial, it appears that they have lost the Romulan ship. Dun, dun, dun. We come back from commercial. Stardate 17009. 17009.6. So let's see. That was about, it was 02 at the beginning, right? So that means fourth of a day has passed. So about Six hours. eight to 10 hours. Right? Six? What'd, What'd you, you say? say? A qu Six? A qu yeah, it's a quarter of a day. Oh, yeah, good call. Uh, but that still already makes for a long, tense day, you know, of back and forth. It's just going to get longer, folks. Strap in. So uh, the vessel is lost. So they decide to enter. Uh, whoops. Oh, so the Enterprise has shut itself down, right? Both sides, we find, have done this. They've turned off all of their energy. They've turned off their lights. I have a question because everyone in this on um, both sides again are talking in hushed tones. They're saying we have to stay really quiet. Is anybody actually going to hear somebody talking in space? I mean, apparently from everything I've heard, they can't hear you scream in space. So, yeah, I think the talking quietly is is one of these dramatic effects. I think uh, you know trying to shut down systems so that you're not radiating, 
you know, things in the electromagnetic spectrum make some sense. Uh, the talking, I think, is a little, a little over the top. top. Yeah, but it, it explains to us the how it's working that everyone's laying low and being quiet, rather rather than so, uh, showing us, you know, a ship's yeah. energy indicator that looks like, oh, look, certain systems seem to have been turned off. <laughs> Here we get a captain's log supplemental. Another nine hours have passed, motionless. We catch Kirk in his quarters trying to get some rest. Rand enters, offering some food or coffee. He tells her, uh, go ahead and send the coffee up to the bridge. I'll be right up. But that's when Bone enters. <laughs> Bone. <laughs> that's when Bones enters. I know. I've fallen apart, apart here. here. It's a long, long episode. episode. Okay, okay. That's, that's when Bones enters. enters. And he, and he says, says uh, <laughs> uh, Kirk wishes that he was on a ship, you know, right now. But it sounds like a recreational ship, right? Oh, I, I love this line. This is this is some fantastic dialogue. I wish I was on a long okay. sea vibe voyage. No frantic dancing, or no, uh, not too much uh, no deck. Play tennis, no playing tennis, or not too much deck tennis. No frantic dancing. <laughs> yes. I'm like, what is that? What's frantic dancing? I don't know. But we don't live in the 23rd century. <laughs> We missed the frantic dancing craze. <laughs> <laughs> Disco, Disco could be, could back. be back. Who knows? Who knows? Slam dancing. So then we get into this really interesting scene where, um, you know, Kirk Solemn again says, you know, why me? So we get, you know, he's, he basically talks about being worried that he's going to make the wrong decision. Everybody's looking to him. You know, what do I do? What if I'm wrong? And then, Bones basically goes on to say, like, hey, there's so many possible planets out there, so many possible types of life. And for some reason, that's me saying that, for some reason, all of them say, don't destroy the one named Kirk. No, no that's, that's what, what, that's what, what Bones, Bones is trying to say here. In this universe, there is, you know, this chance of this many Earth-like planets. And in all of that, you know, this many galaxies just like our own. And in all of that... Just one of each of us. Don't destroy the one called Kurt. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, so here, um, Spock's, Spock makes the most dumb move ever. Big blunder here. So he's under the council trying to fix the phasers again or something else. Something, something broke, and so he's trying to fix it. And so he reaches up to try and, like, pull himself up or something, and he accidentally hits a switch. Dun-dun-dun. Both ships turn on their stuff. They get ready for battle. Kirk fires again. On the Romulan ship, we see that the commander has called Kirk a sorcerer. They are almost out of fuel. More debris. But this time, he adds a nuclear weapon. Spock sees it. Kirk realizes what it is at the last minute and fires. The bomb explodes. Back on the Romulan ship, we see that the Romulan commander tells them to head home. But the centurion turns to him and says, but they are at our mercy. Well, so it is your, it is your that, duty. That tactic there was really clever. So you've used this tactic before, and now you can expect the opponent has, like, they'll disregard it. They'll be like, ha we won't fall for this twice. And if, if they're going to disregard it, you put a booby trap in it. Right. Because if you're going to disregard, haha, booby trap will spring. But Spock recognizes a metal canister is in the debris. So the uh, the Romulan Centurion tells them uh, they are at our mercy. It is your duty to go back and to kill them. 
he, he goads him. He's using yeah, these, yeah. these political pressures that he knows he can't go back and say, so uh, you had them? Uh, you know, they were damaged and you, you, you set off a nuclear device right next to their hull and you didn't go in for the kill? Why did you leave them? Uh, he, uh, he was a sorcerer, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, he, he was a tough commander. Oh, I think you're just weak, you know. We're going we're gonna to give you, like, a botany duty from now on. Botany, botany bay duty? duty. So uh, the, the real Romulan commander decides he's got to go through with it. He's going to go back and do what his crew wishes and destroy the Enterprise. But he can tell, but you already can tell that he thinks it's a bad idea. Back on the Enterprise, we find out there's 22 dead. Uh, Styles goes down to the phaser room to help out uh, Tomlinson. So Uhura comes down from communication and takes over navigation. We see her all like chilling out, cruising. There's one point where she's like all like leaned back, being all cool at the navigational board. Like the windows are open and she's jamming to her favorite hits in the car. Uh, Oh, I'm back here at navigation. This is where I started out as a an ensign. This is easy. Yeah, exactly. I can do this in my sleep. So uh, we go down to the phaser room. Styles and Tomlinson are down there trying to ready the phasers. Spock enters and asks that they need help. Styles says, "We don't need your help, Vulcan." Well, if he would have waited one more second, because a coolant leak happens. Kirk tries to radio down, telling him we need phasers. We need, And uh, Spock smartly returns to the phaser room, where he fires the phasers. And the Romulan ship burns. They hail the ship. The Romulan commander stands and turns toward the screen. He says, in another reality, we might have been friends. We are creatures of duty. Kirk tells him, uh, no, we're going to beam you all aboard. Romulan commander says, can't do that. It is not our way. And blows up the ship. The end of our favorite Romulan commander. We get down to the uh, below decks. We're in sick bay. We find out that Spock has saved Styles. Spock even says, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to do what I think is the right thing to do. And he does it. But not Tomlinson. Nope, Tomlinson is dead. Funny behind-the-scenes story about this. Tomlin, the actor who plays Tomlinson says, uh, he, says he was watching the episode with his daughter. And his daughter, who was like five at the time, says, Well, I don't understand. He could have put, put Styles under one arm and you under the other and dragged you both out. But that's all right. We wouldn't have had our melodramatic ending to this. We find Tomlinson's wife in the chapel again. Very sad this time. Not happy like we saw her last time. She hugs Kirk. Kirk gives her some words of wisdom saying, death doesn't make sense, but we have to know that he died for a reason. I'm all right, she says. Spoken like somebody, you know, in the line of duty, you know, who understands her duty, her husband's duty. I thought that was a really cool way to end it. Kirk ends uh, walking into the corridor and we go to credits. I love that. It's, it's a, it's a uh, uh, steady cam shot, right? Yeah, he's walking yeah, through the absolutely. thing, and the camera's moving as he moves. It's a very cool shot. Yeah, I like it. You get to end on it. It's a, it's a power walk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so one of the few times, uh, this is one of the few times that filming actually never went over budget. Uh, they shot all of theirs in extra days. There's no overtime. However, but because of the effects budget, this ended up going way over budget. It was $236,000, 150 bucks back in 1966. That would be $1.7 million converted to 2013. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, was it was a hard, hard hit, hit, 
But everyone believed that it was a worthwhile expense because of how great the episode turns out. Ominously, the author writes, except, of, ca- of course, to those who ran Desi Lu. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And that was it. One other interesting thing worth pointing out is, is that um, this episode, as good as it was, they lost the first half of this hour to the dating game, but won it over my three sons. So second in this first half of the time slot. The second half of its time slot, it lost out to Bewitched which seemed to be a constant <laughs> nagging problem for them is that show bewitched. However, during the summer rerun months, that next August, it won its time slot completely. So that's at least good that people got to watch it. They also, uh, it also Nielsen at this point predicted that almost 20 million people were watching the show by the time uh, the summer hit. So that's a lot of people, especially back, back in, in the 60s. 60s. Yeah. Well, that was it. The epic long podcast of uh balance of terror i think we covered anything i don't think there's anything we missed anything you didn't get to talk about sir um let's talk about the the romulan power at one point scotty says you know they're running on simple impulse power and later on impulse power is the sublight speed of star trek and i think this is in part this is because they're early on they haven't worked out their terms yet and so there's this notion that the warbird only travels on sublight, which makes no sense. It would take decades to get home. So later on in Star Trek, there are various fixes. Um, you know, in, in one book or another, they suggest that, you know, basically there's a, t- a ship tender that will come and pick it up and then warp back. Um, there's the invention of the magnetic bottle, which is the idea that there's some kind of pre- because later on in Next Generation, they they're, they don't use warp antimatter warp engines. They use artificial singularity warp engines. And so the idea is that they had a magnetic bottle ship that basically the ship would be able to fly out and then would have to like return on impulse. That it was a one-time use warp power or something like that. And then by the time we get to Enterprise, they just hand wave it and go, nope, they've all got warp power, whatever. Of course. And again, it may be on a fundamentally different, uh, you know, theory of energy production, some kind of proto uh, singularity. True that. Anything else you got, sir? That was my. Uh, oh, you, this episode gives us more of the burden of command. It's one of the themes that we've seen, probably in half the episodes in which Kirk or Kirk and McCoy have this conversation about how difficult it is being in command of the ship. We go back to that whole idea that, you know, Captain Kirk is basically Horatio Hornblower, you know? Um, He also has... So this is a quote from Robert Justman, who's one of the producers. Basically says, uh, Kirk was also Hamlet, you know, the flawed harrow. Gene told me earlier that he had modeled him after Captain Horatio Hornblower, and he had... but he also had characteristics of Hamlet, who knows what he has to do, but agonizes over it. Feels, as Hornblower did, that he had to put on a brave face for the sake of his crew. He wasn't strong enough, and yet he had to be strong, because otherwise <clears throat> they would have no one to protect them. So again, it is, you know, as we've talked about, as we talked about a few episodes ago, and in the cage as well, you know, that scene with McCoy is almost, you know, uh, an exact scene of, you know, the the other doctor scene from the cage. So quite correct, I think. Yeah, I, I would have to imagine that 
one of the roles for which a ship's doctor gets prepared to do. It's like, you know, as you move up in rank, there's the very schools that you attend, you know, to get formal training on the next thing. I can totally imagine that before you get promoted from, you know, a doctor on the ship to the ship's doctor, you'd, you'd have to go through some kind of, uh, you know, coursework or whatever, you know, write a, write a paper that gets approved in which uh, you have to deal with monitoring the captain's mental state. Right. In which you've got to judge, you know, how is how is the pressure affecting him? You'd have to, you know, do specialized training in this particular problem of the burden of command. Because in, in every series, we basically get, except for Enterprise, in which Dr. Phlox is not, you know, running around keeping close tabs on Jonathan Archer. And I guess in, uh, that role is fulfilled more by Tuvok and Chakotay for... Janeway, because of course, again, no ship's doctor. Well, it was holographic. Yeah. Doesn't really understand human psyche too well. Well, and he would have been kind of very textbooky, right? Exactly. But certainly with McCoy and uh, and Doctor Crusher, there is a certain kind of you know monitoring the the captain's mental state, and you need to take time off. You need to, you know take care of yourself so that you can take care of the crew. You can't just be pushing yourself at 110% all the time. That's not sustainable. You know, there's, there's all this concern with the burden of command, and you have to deal with that. They also get, of course, by Next Generation, you have the ship's counselor. Who's, right, exactly. Who's doing that for the whole crew, not just for the captain. But even still, the, the captain's a particular problem because nobody's got the captain's problems but the captain. True, exactly. Although Picard, Although Picard tends, tends to be able to handle, handle most of those pretty well. Yeah, so he's not dealing nearly as much with with that kind of burden of command in the the way that Kirk does. And part of it is, I think the ships are more robust. You don't have to worry about total collapse of all the systems. We have a lot more major system failures in the original series. In this episode, we saw the phasers fail at key moments. Yeah. You know, in the, in Mud's Women, we see that just trying to save a ship, you know, with, with the tractor beams and the extending the shields, he blows out all of his uh, lithium circuits. We, we don't see that kind of, we push the ship to the max and we basically render her dead in the water in next generation. We did go over my time limit. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, anyway, we, we don't see next generation pushing the ship to the limit and leaving her dead in the water. And you know, there's another 80 years of where, where Horatio Hornblower had to be courageous for the crew because he was going to put them into immediate face-to-face -face contact with cannons and guys, you know, shooting muskets at them from yards away, close to close combat, close hand-to-hand -hand combat. Kirk's problem was more, we're facing the unknown. We're basically in a fragile tin can, you know, far off in space and where anything could go wrong and, you know, where we're frequently... You know, 
whether it's uh, we're spiraling into the uh, the collapsing planet's orbit, or we've blown all our lithium circuits, or our phasers don't work and we're being shot at. It, you know, it's much more harrowing in the original series. So Picard may not. I think Picard feels more like he's got the burden of command in terms of the war and peace questions, the, the diplomatic. You know, is is my failure to achieve a peace with, uh, you know, the silicoid uh, race that he has to, like, perfect his dialogue with? Right. Uh, you know, if, if we don't establish this peace correctly, it'll mean, you know, more conflict for the Federation, more lives lost. He seems to be much more concerned with those kinds of problems than my crew is afraid because we're out here by ourselves. So more of like the diplomatic side, a little more of the like uh, captain of a of a luxury cruise kind of. Not really a luxury cruise, I shouldn't say that. Well, he he's, he's would have more that like you can imagine that the Secretary of State, right? So you know, previously we had John Kerry, before that Hillary Clinton. You know, now we've got Tillerson. These guys have to feel when they make a mission to North Korea, and North Korea is r rattling the saber and shooting missiles to show how far they can sh you know shoot them, or going. Uh, you know, to Russia or China, and, and they feel, you know, if I screw this up, the consequences really could be bad. Yeah. yeah. And Picard seems more like that kind of a figure, a chief diplomat who has the burden of, you know, my job is to peace in the galaxy, and if I fail, you know, billions could die. This, I think, is especially true, you know, later on in the series where you have those tense negotiations with the Cardassians. There are four lights. <laughs> he does not seem to be concerned about the, we're all alone off here in the depths of space and there'd be no one to rescue us if something goes wrong and something imminently is about to fail. Whereas Kirk does have that problem. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that we didn't even get to in this episode, obviously we talked about so much other stuff, was, you know, he, they sent off to the nearest command station and then it isn't until after the whole skirmish is over that they're like, hey, we're going to back whatever you do. You we'll know, back whatever you, you do. <laughs> exactly. Whereas, you know, in Next Generation, you definitely feel like communication buoys have been set up and that, they, you know, you don't quite have the distance or the time that it takes to, you know, have to deal with situations like that. You can literally wait for, like, your response. All right, cool. Well, I think that about wraps this episode up. The epic long balance of terror. Uh, this might be the longest episode we've done so far. I question the cage maybe might have been because that was just a yeah, long episode a long in and of itself, but we'll see. So next week we got what little girls are made of. I think we're starting to finally get out of my more comfortable episodes that I know and remember and getting into ones that I'm like, I don't even have any idea what happens in this episode. So that'll be a lot more fun for me. Uh, with that in mind, I say so long. Ken, say your goodbyes. Jalan true. I'm all Romulan this episode. <laughs> and we'll catch you all next week for another episode of The Brothers Checkabout. Checkabout.